0: Hello everyone, my name is Joanne Lockwood and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bytes podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at UK. That's s w e double UK. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 76, with the title Awakening Dreams. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to welcome my guest today, Ian Hatton. Ian describes himself as someone who builds conscious leaders. And when I asked Ian to describe his superpower, he said radical self-acceptance of his flaws that enables him to radically accept
1: others, no matter what. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. It's so good to be here. I've been looking forward to this since we met in October. Yes, we did. In Dublin, wasn't it? At a global in speaker Dublin, summit. indeed. Yeah. Yes,
0: mm. it was. Brilliant. day. Ian, tell me awakening dreams. What's that about?
1: So Joe, it's a bit of a long story, but it goes back more than 20 years where some friends and I got together and we said, you know, who are we sort of mythically and mystically just as a a way of discovering more of our own uniqueness. And various uh, of my friends came up with all sorts of ideas. And I came back and said, I'm, I'm blank. I'm stumped. I'm coming up with nothing. And one of my friends looked up and she said, but yeah, it's obvious you're Morpheus. And I said, what do you mean I'm Morpheus? I wish I was Morpheus. And everybody else turned and said, ah, oh, you are, you are Morpheus. And the one who awakens dreams, you know, the Greek God of dreams, the one who, uh, believes nobody everybody else has stopped believing the one, not the hero, but the one who raises up the hero. And, uh, I came to identify with myself as, as Morpheus and, uh, I am one who awakens dreams in others, leadership dreams, dreams to influence and leave the world a better place.
0: I love that. I love that. The, uh just picked up what you said, that the creator of heroes, the unsung, the tennis coach of the greats, if you like, the, uh, the leadership coach, coach of the greats. It's mm. too often we find that the, if you like, the, the guru – wants the limelight but what you're saying there is you you are the supporter Mm -hmm. you are the Mm -hmm. promoter you are the person that gets the person to
1: their dreams it's not about and your dream is to get them to their dream if you like exactly that is exactly what it's about and and nothing gives me a greater thrill and i don't mind the limelight i don't mind being on stage giving keynote speeches and all the rest of it but my real success is 20 years later what are they saying and and I've got uh, two two examples of of young people in South Africa. Well, they were young twenty years ago, who I met and spent a lot of time with, and who now are running um, in either in senior leadership positions or own their own businesses uh, very successfully. And uh, that that to me is the real um, glory. I want is what they do, not what I do. Oh wow, that's well, that- I'd love to see that
0: replicated in other um, leadership development because, we, as I say, it's – yes, I, I appreciate you want the line, right? You want the glory. You want you want more business coming. And obviously, we all do. But it's. I think as speakers, we often recognize it's not about us, is it? It's about
1: the audience. It's about the people we're inspiring. And it really helps to ground us in that. You know, Joanne, one of the most humbling uh, lessons I've ever learned was somebody once said to me – a quite a good orator said to me – Uh, Eloquence is in the audience. And I was like, no, 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 I'm the eloquent. I, you know, it's in me. And eventually I became to realize that, uh, the audience drew it out from me and that the audience was what was the missing ingredient between me being eloquent or not. And, uh, and, and that is, it's all about the audience. It's not about me at all. Hmm. So, you,
0: you we, when we were talking before we went live, you were talking about conscious leadership. So, what's that consciousness? So I presume there must be an unconscious leadership or a a lack of consciousness leadership. So, what do you mean by conscious
1: leadership? Well, it's it's a a very all encompassing term. And and when I left the computer industry just over twenty years ago to follow this new career, my second career, um, I. I was very excited about a concept I'd learned about called authentic leadership, where people bring their truest selves and they lead from that. And, but that's evolved and the term conscious leadership has only emerged since about 2016. So it's a fairly new idea, but it builds on this idea of authentic leadership. So conscious leaders are conscious of themselves and that means Everything. Personality, strengths, weaknesses, uh, intuitions. It's not just head, it's heart as well. Body even. You know, we're not just brains on sticks. There's a whole lot of stuff about being aware of the fullness of who we are. Um, but simultaneously, the same for their people their their consciousness of self becomes a consciousness of other and looking at the diversity there right. and the the different strengths and weaknesses and preferences and uh wirings and and all of these things and again it's mental it's physical it's heart it's it's intuition it's all these things and then perhaps even beyond being aware of our planet and consciousness, um, you know, of the the ecological things that are happening and, and that sort of thing. So it includes this full variety. Uh, and a conscious leader is somebody who leads with all, conscious in all of those areas. Yeah. To uh, pick up what
0: you're saying, I was talking about this the other night with somebody and it's, your, it's It's down to some of it, it's down to your personal brand. And we talk about a marketing term and it's, it's who you are, what you stand for and what people can expect from you. And that's our brand, isn't it? We, uh, Wherever you want to boil that down. And I was talking to someone the other day about we have to now factor in to our brand, our planetary considerations, our yes. environmental, our sustainability, our impact on the planet it has to be part of our personal brand as well because we know that our brand either turns people on or turns people off so if we're if we're gas guzzling polluting brand we know that's going to have an impact on our
1: clients our audience whoever that may be that is totally true and um again one example is that i've got um 12 leaders on a one year journey with me and um one of them i I met with last uh, earlier this week and uh, I was asking him, so what do you want to shift at the next year? What is What lies ahead for you? What is the next step in you and your leadership? And it took a little while and eventually he said, you know what, this is the year that he wants to establish his personal brand. And it's exactly this. It's all encompassing. It's drawing on his strengths, um, being aware and releasing his his weaknesses, you know, teeming for weakness um, um, and being conscious of that. Uh, and the same with his people and his impact on the planet. He's uh, uh, very, very interested in the African context in, in agriculture and, and how agriculture impacts things. And it's all all of that he wants to include in his personal brand story. Yeah. Uh,
0: Gen Z, you know, the, the emerging generations that are our future leaders, you know, you're probably even seeing some early Gen Z leaders already. Yes. Uh, they are, that is really, really important. And certainly when we look at Gen Z's follower, the Gen Beta or Gen Alpha, we, we will see more of this consciousness around. Well, consciousness about identity, conscious about who they are, consciousness about their environment and how they want to be treated and respected is completely different to, I'm a Gen Xer,
1: millennials or boomers. We, all have, we really- have a different
0: view of the world, don't we? And it's, it's going to be really important.
1: And you know what else, uh, you know, linked with that, you, you said, well, if they're conscious leaders, are there also unconscious leaders? Mm. And, um, the people who are going to struggle the most with these new generations coming through is the ones who are leading unconsciously because they, they really will struggle. And what we're finding is conscious leadership is very appealing to the new leaders coming through and the new workforce coming through. And so this idea of conscious leadership is is critical. And we are already seeing the first Gen Z or Gen Z uh, leaders coming through. And uh, they absolutely have an awareness that we haven't seen previously. Um, and I, I get, I'm often working with some older generation, uh, even baby boomer leaders, and they're going, oh, they don't know how to handle these people. And they start complaining about all the Gen Zs. And then I say, have you thought of flipping it around and thinking of the advantages that they bring? And we start listing them and their jaws drop open when they realize how unconscious they've been to the incredible strengths and identity and diversity and awareness that the new generations bring. Yeah, the way they communicate, the way they collaborate,
0: they're more collaborative, I believe. You know, just just in terms, yes, definitely more collaborative. Uh, yes, mm. uh, more micro interactions, more asynchronous communication. Yeah, um, they don't. There's a lot more trust, maybe as well. I, I think we, we go back to my generation and older. It's very much command and control. Isn't it? It's very much. If I can't see you, I can't trust you. Uh, yeah. I need. I need status reports. I need updates all the time. I need to know what you're doing.
1: Uh, uh, that, we're not seeing that in the newer leaders, are we? No, um, much more um, awareness, trust. Uh, and in fact, what we're seeing is that um, so much where the, the old style leadership tries to clamp down, it breaks trust and it slows everything down. So yeah. there's advantages in this high trust environment that is this more inclusive environment where things can speed up. So what you'll find is in low trust environments, um, leaders are creating this sort of clamp down space, as you said, command and control. And the command and control space means people spend time off task. They are now doing the, you know, cover covering my rear end activities as opposed to the actual task. Mm. It's all the reporting, so it's all this. Yeah, there's layers and layers and layers and the- and yeah i I don't know
0: about you but i'm a i'm a big fan of trello and some of these these new tools where i'm not saying i'm 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 an agile agile scrum master or or agile project manager myself but i like the idea of having micro these sprints these little activities we're not big monolithic projects where we get to the end look over our shoulder and go oh we've missed something it's collaborative all the way through isn't it now and and that's a a nightmare for some, but I think modern ways of modern ways of working are, are much more about touch points, keeping in touch, you know, toolbox talks or start-of-day scrum type things. What, how are we doing
1: this week? What are our problems? What are our challenges? Uh, let's get on with it then. And- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That. And, and the, the new tools are coming through. Uh, I was working with some leaders recently in a big global company. And I was saying, so, you know, how competent are you with the new tools? And uh, they will, well, you know, they still rely on email. And I'm saying, well, email's not a collaboration tool. And they were in a state of shock. And I'm going, well, you know, there, there's so many collaboration tools out there. Email is, a, a, you know, <laughs> is based on on the the memo in, memo out, which was, you know, more than a hundred years old. Um, <laughs> these days we're looking to collaborate, but we want to do it virtually. So, you know, can you master these tools? And they realized that some of their biggest um, gaps in their leadership is they were blind to the tools that were available and, and the mastery required to be able to collaborate in that way. So let me ask you a,
0: a kind of a, I think I know your answer to this. Are are leaders born or are they bred?
1: Uh, My answer is yes. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that not everybody's going to be a Mahatma Gandhi or a Nelson Mandela or a Martin Luther King Jr. or a Mother Teresa or whoever you want to use as an example, uh, because I think there is an element of wiring for certain types of leadership. But if you then go back and let me just use those exact names I've just used, uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela and, and, uh, Mother Teresa, you'll find between them that there isn't one style of leadership. They're incredibly diverse in the way that they led, what they brought. And so for me, um, real leadership is discovering who you really are and bringing that to to the the influence that you want to bring on the world, and so the um uh, there is this idea that uh, I've never met a leader who wasn't born <laughs> <So> <laughs> but then again i've never met a good one who wasn't also made um you know look at nelson mandela's twenty seven years in prison that made him in so many ways uh and and so when we look at the the idea of yes, we need to be teachable. In fact, one of the most fatal flaws of leadership is to not be teachable. And so we do want to grow. But actually, we all have the opportunity to lead, whether it is as a parent, you're a leader. If you're a teacher, you're a leader. If you're a a friend or a consultant or you're influencing, the moment you're influencing others, you are a leader. You might never become, you know, the president of the United States. But those are not the only leaders in the world. Anybody who influences others is a leader. And I I always say that we
0: we are all inherently leaders. We have to lead ourselves. We have to set example. The social influence. All those kind of things. So yeah, I'm, I'm a great believer in that, and I, I completely agree that some people do have a kind of an innate personality trait that makes whether it's their confidence or something that is not learned. It's just part of who they are. Mm. The, the danger is we are not careful. We believe that certain people are better at leading, which again leads to biases and and denial of opportunity for people who are not ticking those boxes you know that maybe their voice isn't as powerful as strong therefore they have less authority when they speak and those those kind of styles but as you just mentioned mother Teresa, she Mm. didn't have a loud authoritative stance or voice yet she still influenced
1: many millions Exactly. Exactly. And, and this idea of bringing your unique self to me is so central to it. So, um, one of the things I've had before is I've had uh, people come up to me during training when I'm showing them a particular leadership technique. In other words, the part of being made uh, as a leader. And I've had them come to me and say, no, no, but surely we should just reject all of this. And we should, I should just try and be more like Steve Jobs. And then I go and I say, okay, fine. Have you have you heard Steve Jobs' commencement speech? Because his commencement speech says, if you want to have your biggest impact on the world, you need to be your unique self. In other words, Steve Jobs himself said, don't be like me. <laughs> and And so, yes, we can learn techniques from others, but there is something about our unique impact on the world is going to be based on the full diversity of uniqueness that is within us. Yeah, and you can't suddenly start shouting and screaming at people for,
0: as Steve Jobs often did, and yes. without without building up your credentials as a leader to, to to have that level of respect, you can't just suddenly think, oh, I want to be Steve Jobs and act like a right. act like him and and get away with it. So yeah, not everyone can And there are many very Donald very Trump.
1: successful leaders who never shouted and screamed at anybody.
0: Yeah, exactly. And different styles. And uh, yeah, we, we see it, well, we're seeing it now with. Uh, um, I won't mention the person's name, but yeah, Twitter and Tesla yes. and uh, SpaceX. That, so that's <laughs> our leadership again, it's different, but, but there's yeah. a, there's a neurodiversity in there as well. So we've got to remember that not everybody is neurotypical, whatever that yes. means to, to, to people and people have different approaches where empathy and compassion or even logical, clear thinking isn't a factor in everybody's leadership style. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. how do you, um, how do you m- m- build the marriage between authenticity and consciousness? Because for me, when we think about, some, say, EQ, emotional intelligence, mm. part of that is about self-awareness and then self-regulation. If you're self-regulating, do you lose some of your authenticity? If we're learning to be leaders and learning and adapting our
1: style, what is the true self? Are we putting a mask on? I, I, I love, I love this question. It's, it's actually one of my favorite questions and it's, and it's uh, brilliantly worded. Thank you. So, Joe, in this case, um, e- emotional intelligence does include, um, a level of self-management. And that to me actually does align with consciousness. So if you take, for example, the person who has a really bad day at work and they arrive home and, and the dog does something and the first thing they do is they kick the dog, you know, that to me is not conscious leadership because it wasn't the dog's fault that they had a bad day at work. Or conversely, you know, I had a, fi- a row with my partner this morning and I arrive at work and I now take it out on my staff. It may be authentic, but it is not conscious um, and, and conscious leadership. But the idea for me of authentic is that I am um, am am self-examining. I'm self-aware. Um, I am going to bring my unique personality, my my genius. I'm very simultaneously aware that I have areas where I have um, debilitating weaknesses, or you know, areas where I, I actually feel quite stupid um and uh, and so i want to be aware and authentic about all of that and say i know where i need help and let me get that help let me be vulnerable enough to be um to get that help let me be transparent enough and that is really what i mean by authentic authentic is not i'm just going to vent and take out something that's there and bring it and project it over here um that to me is not conscious and that's perhaps why I, I like the graduation from my thinking around authentic leadership towards conscious leadership because it brings, uh, it's it's a, a a better managed type of leadership, but it's still mm. authentic.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I initially used the word in there vulnerability. I'm a great believer of vulnerability, humility, uh, yeah. are, are core skills for 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 great leaders in today's world how how do you get leaders to accept their vulnerability and humility
1: it's it's a it's a very tricky area that i work and um i i don't think i've got a one answer for that question uh, but i we can talk about it from so many different facets and paint the picture so for example if we're talking about uh, trust so many people say Oh well, you know, how, I don't know how important this trust is, and I just need to be myself, and and, and this sort of thing. And and what we've seen as as the research is emerging from trust is that trust is, in some ways, the precursor and more important to than than engagement. Without trust, is and the consequences of low trust are actually more extreme than the consequences of 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 not having people fully engaged. And and so you start talking about so how do you build trust? And everybody kind of goes, oh, well, you know, I've got integrity. And then you say, okay, do you have integrity with yourself? And now suddenly they are taken aback. What do you mean? I say, well, when you commit to something in your own life, do you always do it? Are you authentic with yourself? Are you able to, to build that authenticity with self? And then they kind of start to realize this is quite tricky now and say, well, you know, if you're saying – well, I always practice integrity with my people, but I don't have integrity with myself. Where does that leave you? You know, are they not picking up on that lack of integrity with self? What do they think? If you say, well, you know, yes, my, I'm true to my word. And then they hear you lying to your partner, you know, or even lying to yourself, you know, and, and so there's this whole thing of a realization that, um, the, there's, there's a, a piece of vulnerability that if that's not in place, you cannot be trusted. And if you cannot be trusted, what's the impact on your leadership? And so it's it's sort of building the case. And, and trust is just one area that I work with that. Um, I think there's so many others. Uh, I mean, another one, uh, probably one that's uh, very intuitive and obvious to you, is that uh, if you want people to open up, you start by opening up. Uh, there is nothing that will trigger others to open up quicker than you opening up. And so without vulnerability, are you going to really know what's going on with your people? Are you going to know what the real issues are? Um, if there's a potential safety issue or quality issue, is anybody going to speak up? If you're not prepared to be vulnerable, will they be vulnerable? Um, so, yeah, you could, we, I, I work... Um, my princip- biggest principle of conscious leadership is it starts with self. In fact, my favorite saying for conscious leaders is I am my number one job every day. I'm not my only job, but it starts with self-leadership and then goes external. You've got to be a little bit vulnerable to be able to do that. Hmm.
0: So trust sort of feeds into one of the new buzzwords we talk about, psychological safety, doesn't it? It's, it's making sure that I can trust me with you. You, you won't
1: break me. Yes. Exactly. And and I think vulnerability is key to that because if you, if we are not vulnerable, how do people trust us? How do they know that it's actually safe?
0: Yeah. I, it, people want, want to be listened to. They want to be heard. They want to know they can speak up. Yes. And if, if they don't feel they've got a comfortable environment where well, they can do that. And then that's all, it all parts of the life cycle the, the recruitment phase, the employment phase, the growing phase, whatever it may be, you, you need to be able to have that confidence that you matter and you yes. will, you will be, you'll be heard. And that's and often we, we find that people start with, this is what I think. Do you agree with me? Type sentences. Um, not, Hey, Hey team, we've got a challenge here who's got some ideas. Right. And it's about flipping the the leaders there to coach and facilitate and to steer not to direct
1: almost. Well, one of the big skills there is this uh, almost balance between candor and curiosity, Mm. you know, to, to come in and say, I think we have a problem with our clients. This is, this is the the picture as I see it. Um, And I'm basing that on this evidence, but, I don't know if I'm seeing the whole picture. So I'd love to hear your opinion, you know. And so you're bringing in something quite direct, quite candid, but you're open to the possibility that you might be misinterpreting the data or not have all the data. And and then you can get the discussion going and others can sort of say, well, I'm not sure about this interpretation of that. I interpreted that this way. And and so you get a a, a much better quality conversation going around the issue. Yeah, I think you're right. There is is starting
0: off with that. What have I missed? Here's my pers- here's my perspective. What have I missed? Is kind of yes. the thing. Isn't it? I, exactly. I often talk about we, we we spend a lot of our time disagreeing with with outcomes, and I I use the equation E plus R equals O: event, reaction, outcome. And we all, yep. we, all, we spend all of our life in O, talking about O's and outcomes. And that, that could be someone's belief system, whatever it may be. But we very rarely talk about the plus, which is the the perspective of that event or that perspective of that situation. And I've, I was trying to encourage people, if we can start talking about perspectives, that's very interesting. Why do you think that? Oh, wow, I never thought of that. Tell me more about that. So we may not actually align in outcomes because we don't all vote for the same party. We have right. a different perspectives on who the best party is, but we can agree that I see why you you lean right and I lean left, or you're the centrist. So we can we can actually be very happy in each other's perspectives without having to agree
1: with each other. This is totally totally uh, correct. You know, one of the things we talk about is functional conflict, and um, and so dysfunctional conflict is when there's no conflict. That's dysfunctional. And dysfunctional conflict is when there's rage or war, you know, but somewhere in the middle, there is this functional conflict where I have my perspective and then I I really can hear your perspective and we go, oh, we've been arguing my outcome or my solution versus your solution. But now that we're aware of both perspectives, maybe there's a better solution that meets both of them. Hmm. And that's only possible, and that's functional conflict. That is where the result of the conflict is better than either of the two proposed ideas. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I always say there's my idea, there's your idea, and there's the the shared idea, the the other, the bigger idea, the, the joined idea.
1: But very often we can't get to that shared idea when we are just talking about the idea. When we talk Mm. about what's driving our ideas, what's my perspective, what's my evidence, what am I basing it on? Then we can sort of go, oh, but if we did this, it actually addresses both. And Mm. that's the key. I just, I'm going to wind our both our
0: memories back to Dublin, the conference we were both at. And what, one thing that I, I still take away from that was the, the speaker, Joe Berry, who taught, who was, her uh, father was killed by the IRA, the British IRA, um, back in 1970 or early eighties, whenever it was, and how she sat down with the terrorists of the organizations who murdered her father. It was and, shocking. Yes. Yeah. And. The thing I loved about it was the way she resolved that in her mind was: we have to find a shared goal. What do we both want to achieve? And in, in her particular case, you've got to move past the argument or the, or the fact that someone's killed your father, and move to the we want to end conflict as being the shared goal. And if you can paint a shared goal, then you can both have that vision and work towards it. And then you acknowledge what happened in the past, but you move on from it
1: because of the, what's important is the future and the shared goal. Exactly. And, and, and it's, it was just such a, a, a shocking story, but at the same time gave such hope in, mm. in, in restoring and, and, and rebuilding and, and creating a better future.
0: Yeah. It it does take people to get to the mindset where it's, I don't have to be right. I don't have to win. It's not about me winning. It's about
1: we win. We, we all succeed, isn't it? That's, you know, Joe, I, I would venture that one of the number one problems I, I I work with leaders is on the need to be right. Um, This is, uh, I, I've seen this across South Africa. I've seen this across Africa. I've seen it in the Middle East. And I've seen it even with uh, a lot of leaders that I've worked with in Europe, uh, more than 80 countries now, leaders I've worked with. And the fascinating thing is there's this obsession, and it, I think it's based on insecurity, which is why... For me, consciousness is so vital. The, this obsession with needing to be right, needing to win arguments. And um, you you could win those battles, but you will lose the war. You'll lose the war of trust. You'll lose the war of engagement. You'll lose the war of leveraging people's genius. You, you will shut down so much in the process that you'll win these little battles. And, and to me, uh, one of my biggest arguments as leaders is leadership is not about being right. It's, in fact, got nothing to do with being right it's about facilitating people 's thinking it 's about facilitating people 's growth uh, and 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 the 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 moment you attach it to your need to be right but I had a personal encounter with this where when I first started out as a as a leadership uh, training facilitator um this is some a yeah, long time ago and um and I got on one of my review forms somebody wrote. Ian's need to be right is getting in the way of being a great facilitator. And it was one of the most painful things I'd ever heard in my life. Devastating. But I tell you what, it changed the whole trajectory of my life. That my job is not to be the expert. My job is to facilitate the learning and growth of others. Mm. And, And when we can get away from our attachment to being right, we can create space for our people to think, and to bring all of their greatness to uh, the the task that we have in front of us. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah,
0: I, when I when I start my workshops and facilitation sessions, I often say at the beginning, "I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to tell you what to say. All I'm doing is inviting you to think. And I'm not here to give you any answers. I'm here to give you loads of questions. Exactly. That, that's that's the purpose. And it, it really shocks people because sometimes on my, on my, uh, delegate feedback forms, they go, Joe was really amazing, but she didn't give me any, any tangible answers. And it's like, I gave you loads of questions. I gave you loads of thinking opportunities. So it, it's about teach, teach the man to fish and, and he'll feed himself for the rest of his life rather than give him a fish. It's, it's exactly, it's empowering exactly people that. with thought, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, 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 what I, I sometimes get pushback from leaders to say, well, if all I'm doing is asking questions and I'm not telling people what to do, am I still leading? And then I show them what it means to ask great questions. I show them what it means to listen well. And they suddenly realize this is harder work than just telling people what to do, but it's much more sustainable. It gives me the opportunity that one day I'll be able to take leave, uh, take some vacation, because um, when I'm doing all the telling, I I've, it's all on me. But if I can get my people thinking, if I can be asking them the right questions, um, and even when it comes to sort of, you know, semi sort of disciplinary type issues where somebody maybe has missed the mark or whatever – Asking great questions puts more pressure on them than jumping in and saying, you must, you must, you must, um, which mm. kind of puts the focus on the leader instead of having them do the introspection.
0: Yeah, I, I've certainly learned uh, my, my marriage is stronger by adopting a, a, a that approach. You know, I don't, not having to be right. I ask questions, I cl- seek clarification. So if I have a, a different perspective I, 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 I try and phrase it as a question and, uh, and invite to conversation. And it frustrates the, the bejesus out of my wife because she, she gets really frustrated that I, I won't agree with her sometimes. And I just come up with loads of questions. <laughs> She's, Can't you just agree with me for once? So, well, if I don't agree with you, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just go, yes, dear. Or she says, sometimes I'd like that. Yes, please. I go, okay. So now I say, <laughs> is, this a, is this a yes dear question? Or is this a, let's have a discussion question? <laughs> it's, we're quite playful with it. But yeah, uh-huh. it, it's, it, it is. And it's, if you have this stance where you, you, you challenge people with questions, and I don't mean aggressively challenge, I'm just saying, wow, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Tell me more. It allows you to, to get that person to even examine their own belief system Exactly. That they, that they've probably thought about superficially. And certainly where we we've got polarized debates um around as to say vaccinations, not vaccinations. That's a kind of a global thing, wasn't it? Um asking someone why they think it's important not to be vaccinated or what that means or, or, or just tell me more. Tell me oh wow, it's fascinating, tell me more. And you find out that that some of the debates are, are waffer thin and there's no depth to them. They're just very superficial um straw man type arguments and or, or contradictory arguments and it can be very a good way of engaging with somebody because they end up walking off going oh I, I can't tell you can't talk to you anyway yeah well, okay and i keep i keep doing that with people i try to find the answer if you can if you explain this to me i'd love to i'd love you to turn me i'd love you to persuade me that i'm wrong or well, have my views is, is different and And I really, I really, I I, I actually ask people to challenge me on these things because I I want to find out the answer
1: that I've missed. And that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? I totally agree with you. And, and in this very polarized world, which seems to currently becoming almost more polarized, um, we need the conversations and both sides are, are seem to be unwilling. And Mm. uh, the the whole for me of, of consciousness is being conscious that I might be wrong and yeah. and that it's okay and that i can i can be influenceable. if we if we are not as as leaders listening in a way we, where we could be influenced then are we really listening mm-hmm. uh or is it an insincere thing so that comes back to an authenticity and a and a consciousness and it's not just it's not to say that i'm suddenly wishy-washy about what i believe it's simply saying that um uh, I, I understand that there's a spectrum and it would be really useful for me to understand the bits that are different from my own. And mm. that's going to make me a better leader. And it's, it's really hard to occupy the center ground or the center risk ground mm-hmm. because there's, a,
0: there's this polarization between one opinion at the edge and then the other opinion on the other edge. And both those two opinions are trying to drag you to their corner Yes. So being in the center, you, almost people say, well, don't be wishy-washy. Make a decision. You know, Come be influenced by me because they, they want to draw people into their crowd. And mm. I find that trying to have centrist-type arguments with people, mm. they're, they're nervous because they, they don't necessarily have a view or they're being shouted at by other people. And it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable to say, actually, I, I don't have an opinion. I don't know. I'm trying to find out more in a balanced way. But then as soon as you try and find out more, you get, you, there's a momentum to suck you away from the center
1: again. Yes. It, I, what I'm finding more and more with, with many of these things is that we can get so focused on the two poles that maybe where we really don't want to, we really want to be is not in the middle, but in a third position, a position that is something new, a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at some of these things. Um, that, uh, and, and I don't know that it's in the center because, the centre just feels like a compromise sometimes. Hmm. And uh it feels to me like can we can we transcend, can we get to another level in this argument? Is there another position we could take that is different from both of these positions?
0: Or recognising that both positions have a perspective that is valid. And yes. it's trying to work out it's trying to rationalise those two valid perspectives. And I mean the example I use often is um go back to the Vax, anti Vax thing, is Novak Djokovic. Uh, and yeah. hit the fiasco when he was in Australia and he was quarantined and they kicked him out, etc. It could barred him in the open. And I was determined not to like him because I, I'm 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 vax, I'm I'm pro vax, and he was anti, He was kind of anti. And I saw an interview with him, and the the, the bit that, that gave me that, as you say, that third position was when he said, "I want agency over my own body. I want to decide what I put into my body." And I went, "Yep, human right, human right, agency." Okay, I I get it. I don't agree with your outcome, but I agree with your right for agency. And you can argue, yes, but you're doing stuff to other people. I I, I don't care what else he's doing, but he has the right to agency. So I can take that—that as you say—that third position, that 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 aerial view, and go, okay. So how can we get agency to marry with society, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera? So we're having a different discussion, aren't we?
1: It's not—we're not angry with him. We're trying to—we're trying to work out how that can work. Exactly. Exactly. And that's getting to that, that other solution that that doesn't require somebody to compromise their rights or their strong beliefs, but it allows them to, to, to still engage with the question and the issue and the implications of it. Yeah. And they, they, they explained the
0: rules. And he said, okay, I have agency. My decision is to leave. Goodbye. Thank you. He had a choice. So yes. we weren't forcing him out. We said, "Well, this is this is the option." And I think yes. by giving people those options um, and the rules, if you like, of society or or humanity that we have at this time, and yeah. then you have a choice to opt in or opt out, and yeah. there are consequences to both. But you have that exactly. choice, exactly, Exactly, Joe. Yeah, and you, and you don't you don't show any any malice or
1: or towards the person. You just go, "That's your choice. That's your choice." And that, to me again, is conscious leadership it's it 's the idea of of finding that key, that thing that you go actually, I can align with that, I can align with that um, and, and 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 you know, imagine in the workplace we 've got so much diversity. How do you build a team where you may even find on the team you 've got these two very polarizing different perspectives and and then the, our job as leaders is to transcend that and go. Yes, if, I may have an opinion, but what is the truth of you that we can accept and we can understand? Oh, yeah, you have that right, um, and and we welcome it. Hmm. Do, do you get any or a lot of
0: pushback on the kind of the rejection of inclusion, the, the the wokeism brand? You know, is it all too woke? Is it all too politically correct? or you can't use humor anymore, Oh, oh, here comes Joe, here comes Ian,
1: I've got to be careful what I say around them. Do you, do you, do you get a lot of that still with leadership? Oh, oh, totally. And I'll give you an example. I was working with a group of senior leaders in a financial institution uh, in, I think it was December, November, December. And they, uh, one of them actually just came in the next day and he was going, you know, it sounds like what you're trying to promote is niceness that we should be nicer people and but we've got some work to do and we seem to be so focused on getting these things uh, all these other things in place that we've lost sight of we've got uh, we've got a pressure we've got we've got to deliver and 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 for me uh, it star- it sparked perhaps the best conversation that we had in the two days we worked together uh, because what what resulted was this is not either or it's both and we are not creating places of inclusion so that everybody can be happy and smiley and do nothing. Uh, we are creating places of inclusion to actually bring out the best in each person. And, and we talked about how we could do that. And specifically talking about um, the, the telling style of leadership versus the asking style and saying, okay, um, how do we make sure that if we're doing an asking style of leadership, that it actually increases people's engagement towards the task. This is not, I'm asking because I'm going to be nice. I, 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 I don't believe niceness has a place in, in leadership. Warmth, yes. Curiosity, yes. Inclusivity, humanity, yes. But niceness, uh, <laughs> I mean, my ultimate analogy for leadership, and, and people really don't like this, but my ultimate analogy for leadership is that leadership is love. What people immediately then assume is that I'm, be- I'm talking about being nice. No, it's loving to confront people. It's loving to 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 talk about where they've missed a target, because to not talk about that to me is not an act is the opposite of love. You know, to, 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 to just sort of smooth things over and to not ever confront issues. That's to me is not love. And so this whole idea of, yes, we are talking about people being able to bring their whole selves to work in order to work, not in order to now not actually work. And, and that to me, once people get that whole argument, they suddenly realize that that is true leadership is where people can bring them full, their full selves. And we can achieve the task. Mm. We can achieve the goals.
0: And you can apply that to being a parent, can't you? Exactly that. You, know, you, you have love for your children, ultimate love for your children, but you're not always nice. You're, you're a coach, you're a mentor, you're a taskmaster or mistress. You're there to achieve the objective, which is a fantastic human being who can have a fantastic life and contribute to the world. And sometimes that needs focus.
1: And direction, and coaching, and correction—all those various things. One of my favorite uh, sayings about parenting, and and my my children are grown up, and I, I have a couple of grandchildren now. Um, but one of my favorite sayings about parenting is: it's our it's not our job to raise children; it's our job to raise adults, people who can behave in the adult world, and and that means, for example, as you said earlier, um, getting people to think. Uh, that our job is raising people who know how to think and that's that's an adult response people who know how to think people who can ask the difficult questions and and that you do not get by being nice you get that by getting people thinking which is asking the very difficult questions
0: yeah uh, i mean I, I don't know about you but i i love someone to come up and challenge me with a question you go wow um I don't have an answer. No, I don't have an answer. Leave that
1: one with me. I want to. I want to do some thinking on that. That's okay. I totally agree. If we think we're supposed to have all the answers all the time, I think it actually communicates a a lack of teachability. And I think that that people really respect that kind of a response. Um, If you don't mind,
0: let me ask you a bit about South Africa because that's where you're based. That's where that's where your home is. Uh, South Africa as a country has been on a huge journey. Over the last 20, 30, 40 years, you mentioned Nelson Mandela and you yes. swapped from white minority rule to black majority rule. And we've talked about a lot of things around forgiveness, acceptance, and moving on. It's been a tough, it's been a tough well, generation, I guess. What what lessons are, are being learned as a society from this?
1: Well, I think that one of the lessons is that Uh, The real healing is is at a much deeper level than uh, you know the sort of smoothing over at the niceness thing, you know. So we we had our um, our first fully democratic elections in ninety four, and in ninety five we won the rugby world cup, and um, and it was such a euphoric sort of moment of people of all colors dancing in the streets together and the sense of unity. And we called it the rainbow nation. And, and, and there was this incredible, but many of the underlying issues had not yet been addressed. Uh, and uh, where we've been going ever since um, has been getting to the real things. And, um, I, you know, I love it now when I see a lot of integration and, 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 you know, I walk into a restaurant and Half the tables are mixed race and and this sort of thing there 's a lot of inclusivity and there 's a lot of acceptance um, but there 's still extremism of course um, on both sides um, but the 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 sort of papering over and assuming that because we won the world cup um, and we can dance and celebrate together that all the problems are now gone uh, is just it 's just so untrue uh, and we still see examples where there is exclusion we still see examples where um, be, uh, uh, there's this automatic thinking that people are stuck in. And I'll give you a very simple example. I, I a few years ago was invited to give a talk um, in one of the traditionally very black areas, um, township areas. And I, and literally the children were running up and touching my skin because they'd never actually seen a white person in person before. And, and it's just horrifying to realize that Many years later, we still have so much separation. But um, and, and, there's, and there's so many examples as well. Let me give you a very simple example. You know, in, in most of our more European traditions, um, looking someone in the eye is a sign of respect. Um, if somebody senior walks in and you stand up, that's a sign of respect. In In many of the African traditions, it's the exact opposite. Looking someone in the eye is arrogant. Um, you, you make yourself small in the presence of a, an important person. You don't stand in their presence, you know? And so these sort of things of, of, of expecting, you can't expect everybody to move from one part to another part. And these people never do any moving, you know, there's gotta be a movement in both directions and a, and a beginning of, of an understanding and, 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 and that journey for us is not over. I, I remember having a conversation with somebody in the nineties when, when we had had our first democratic movements and, and elections and saying there are facets of, of where we are going as a country that's going to be multi-generational before it's going to be resolved. Um, and, and, you know, the sort of thinking, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, we had the apartheid government from 1948, um, uh, you know, until, 94. Uh, but the reality is that even under, um, the previous government, there was not fairness and, and, and inclusivity. Um, and, and, and obviously under, under colonial rule, there wasn't, um, you know, there, it was the, you know, the, the dominant forces and, and that's not a, a, a British South Africa thing. There was the Dutch before. And if you look over Africa, uh, the French, the Belgians, the Germans, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of that sort of thing. And the idea of, being open to learn from each other the idea to be asking the difficult questions uh, mm-hmm. is is uh, so important um the idea of of looking and seeing what are the um incredible strengths that w- in a multicultural society can bring and inclusivity uh, that we can have because there are facets for example in leadership where uh some of the African traditional elements of leadership are so relevant, not just to better leadership in the world, but better leadership today because they are more aligned with the Gen Z that we were talking about earlier on. There are some elements there where we suddenly realize, wow, but the these traditional forms of leadership are suddenly relevant. We think of them as old but they're actually new. Yeah, I mean, leadership and humanity
0: has been what, around for 50, 100,000 years or whatever it is. Um, our, our current version of it was invented by white people in the Western world, wasn't it? And exactly. Who says we're right? I mean, I, I, I would say there's a lot more depth and breadth of leadership styles from around the world than there is just in, the, as you say, the colonial past. Right. We, we need to move, up, move away from Exactly. That.
1: Exactly,
0: it's fascinating. We need to I mean, listen I, to each I, other. I, yeah, I, I had the, I had the the privilege to meet uh, Lech Wałęsa in uh, in Poland when I was there back in the late nineties. And for those who, who don't know, Lech Wałęsa was the uh, the founder of Solidarity, who was the the movement that some credit with bringing down the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism. Uh, exactly, by yep. the ship workers. And I remember him doing the talk he gave. Saying that he, many people in Poland see him as an enemy. They see him as a as a destroyer, because you have to go almost go backwards to go forwards. You have to unlearn. You have to remove the infrastructure. You have to remove all these these constructs that exist in order to move forward. And, and I, I'm I, I'm guessing that's the painful part that maybe your own nation is going through. You have to unlearn, and maybe that's the other barrier that leaders have they have to unlearn their biases, they have to unlearn their their, their methodology in order to embrace
1: new ideas. Yeah, it, it's so similar to the generational argument we were talking about earlier on where we need to unlearn the ways of leading because they're not going to work with this new generation and what can we learn from them? What can we learn from the diversity that is global? I have a mm-hmm. client um, who's just finished a, a, a comprehensive program with us um, and she's based in Malaysia. And she was astounded to realize some of the problems that we have in Africa, how similar they are in Malaysia, um, where they also, ha- you know, went through things like, you know, we have um, our black economic empowerment and people kind of go, oh, well, you know, this is reverse racism and things like this. And and she's talking about the dignity and, and the similar challenges that they faced in Malaysia being independent and and trying to kind of reverse a lot of the traditional thinking and its mindsets on both sides mm-hmm. that need to shift and um and and we're just realizing how much we have in common and some of the conversations that have been having uh because i have in my team obviously people of of color and the conversations between her and the my people of color and going we have the same experience and and what can we learn from each other and how can we then move things forward Hmm. that's fascinating i I
0: think it just shows that sharing of experiences with people from different perspectives actually brings together and either reinforce some of our our thoughts and changes so, yeah i think it's, it's it is important to, and i I think one of the things i've learned over the last four or five years is is more talking more listening well more listening mainly but but not being afraid i mean one of the reasons i found this podcast it gave me a good excuse to talk to people from all around the world and hear different perspectives and as a as a as a host, I try and ask most of the questions and not give many of my opinions. So it's for me, it's it's an excellent way of of seeking different perspectives on the world. So I've, I do appreciate that. Indeed, end, we, we've been chatting for over an hour now and we, before we pressed the record button and uh, in the green room, and it's been absolutely amazing talking to you and getting to know you better. And I I can't wait for us to meet face to face somewhere else in the world, maybe maybe Bali in a couple of years time, or who knows. Maybe I'll get a trip to South Africa one day and I'll come and uh, knock on your door. So you you've told me you've got a book coming out uh, sometime in 2023. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and how to get hold of you?
1: Yes. So um, it's actually my first book, of, um, but there are three coming over the next two years. But the first one is called Lead Like Morpheus, The Genius of Conscious Leadership. Uh, And that one will be out sort of in the March, uh, April timeframe here in 2023. Uh, And I'm very excited about that. And it's really bringing a a lot. I seem to have lost Ian.
0: Hi, Ian. Welcome back. I thought we'd lost you for good there. You got sucked into the matrix or something. So welcome back. I think when when you disappeared, we were talking,
1: I just asked you about your book and how people get hold of you. Do you want to just, Remind us. Yes, indeed. So my book coming out in a few months' time is Lead Like Morpheus, The Genius of Conscious Leadership. And uh, that's just bringing out all the theory of this inner journey of a leader resulting in external results and legacy that they can leave behind. So that's what the book is all about. And the best way to people to get hold of me is on LinkedIn. So uh, in LinkedIn, it's simply forward slash Ian Hatton, one word, uh, very easy to get hold of me uh, that particular way. Uh, and then uh, what you might find up there is there's a, a little uh, QR code for doing a, little, a free assessment, a free conscious leader, leadership assessment that we have, uh, which is called the Leadership Egg, uh, the Essence Growth Gap Assessment, and that's a free little assessment that people People can do but uh yeah linkedin is the best way to get hold of me fantastic
0: many thanks ian i'm sure everyone listening will agree there was much inspiration and stuff to ponder there and also some challenging perspective which is fantastic mm-hmm. uh, so a huge thank you to you the listener for tuning in for listening this far please do subscribe if you're not already to keep updates on future episodes of the inclusion bites podcast that's b-i-t-e-s Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, share the love. I have a number of other exciting guests. Can they be more exciting? I have no idea. You have to find out. A number of other exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you would be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And of course, if you'd like to be a guest, I'd love to hear from you. Mm. As I would also welcome any comments, feedback, or suggestions. Just drop me an email to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. Let me know how we can improve, if that's possible. So finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood. And it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.